Bienvenidos a Crónicas de la Raza. Welcome to La Raza Chronicles. On tonight's program, we bring you an in-depth interview with Rene Yañez, who has been a leading international artist, art historian, and curator. We'll also bring you an interview with singer and songwriter Diana Gameros about her participation in an upcoming festival that kicks off this Thursday, SF Sonido Fest. We'll also give away a pair of tickets to the Encuentro del Canto Popular, which this year is going to blow folks away. Soltron will be a part of it, Quita Penas, and much, much more. We're going to start off our program with a poem by our own Nina Serrano, which also serves as a commentary for these times where many are feeling scared, isolated, and uncertain. This poem is called Be Fearless, Choose Love. And it is accompanied by Marco Getzo on violin. Be fearless, choose. Love to Jessica Xiomara Garcia and Camilo Landau. Fear of computer viruses, terrorists, planetary extinction, fear of spreading diseases, of urban crime rates, drug lords owning governments, torture as a commonplace weapon and humanless drones with only a button to press to explode life to smatters and splinters. Only a law to pass to steal it all. Fearless love is the only defense. Greedy power in my face like in yours wants to make us forget. But we cannot forget this nagging feeling, hard-wired in the bones, wanting to belong snugly in the nest of our planet, be fully accepted because we exist, not for our documents, licenses, and wealth. From that innate primordial desire, comes our fearless love, peeking around polluted rubble of destruction, the abandoned gas stations, the poisoned waterways. We look beyond and see other heads bobbing up and down, beaming the signal, calling to us to show our fearless love in the face of everything. Fearless love the daily challenge. Ready or not, it is here. to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza, and you just heard the beautiful voice and guitar of one of our favorite singers, a wonderful friend to the program, Diana Gameros. You just heard the song SB1070 off her CD, Eterno Retorno. Muchísimas gracias, Diana, por estar aquí con nosotros. Qué gusto tenerte aquí. Gracias a ustedes, Julieta. 
Pues Diana, so we are talking here today because your music honestly could not be more timely. It's not more urgent and more important than right now. This is a time where we need music, we need healing, we need reflection, and we also need stories. And your music has so many stories in it. So first off, why don't you tell us about SB 1070 because it relates very closely to a beautiful, beautiful event that's going to be happening at the YBCA Forum, the SF Sonido Fest, and your specific show, which is called I Am Home, a musical reflection on love, migration, and identity. So why don't you kick us off by telling us a little bit about SB 1070? Yes, SB 1070 is a song that I wrote uh, back in 2010 in response to the anti-immigration Law, Senate Bill 1070, uh, which is one of the toughest anti-immigration laws ever passed. And this was a way for me to to acknowledge the, the consequences of this law and to speak about the, the feelings that arise when a law so harsh is passed and the consequences of it and all the, the damage that it dust to families, to kids uh, who get to be separated from their families, and, and the fear that it instills in people. And and it was also a way to remind us of the resilience and of the strength that we can have despite of all these dark times, despite of, of our opponents, as I like to call them, creating all these laws to to prevent us from from being free of fear, from being free in general. Because I believe that it does not matter whether you have a paper or not, you you have you have basic rights that should be respected. And so this this song speaks speaks about that and and but mainly too about the about the hope that we can have despite of of everything that could be happening around us or to us. That's the voice of Diana Gameros. We're talking about SB 1070, a song off of her CD, Eterno Retorno. We're really excited that she'll be able to share this song along with many others in a beautiful show called I Am Home, a musical reflection on love, migration, and identity. Diana, so you just touched on one of the reasons why your music, you know, really speaks to me and speaks to so many people so much is that along with the heartbreak and the pain that you capture, your music always includes so much hope and inspiration. And I honestly feel freedom in that sense because it's there's also with the pain, there's always the possibility and the the hope of a better a better vision for this world. With SB 1070, you know, even with the the difficult things you portray, there is that piece where it leaves people thinking and hoping that there could be something different. So tell us about this theme because it's such a big theme in your music, but also this show. You've decided to dedicate this whole show to some of these very, very big, very complex, but very powerful themes that we're all struggling with right now as many people are worried that their families are going to be divided. So tell us about some of the things that you hope to capture and share and some of the things that people will experience at your show. You said a word that that comes up for me and that is complexity. I think with this show I'm trying to make sense of all the of all the uh, complex feelings and emotions and logistics, really, that are coming up as we confront these times. And what better way to do this than uh, with music and with stories? I mean, sometimes um, it's just as important to stand up and to speak out. And if we can do it in form of music, I think that can be healing and it can be inspiring and it can be motivating. I mean, it's an instrument. It's a tool that I have in particular and that I want to share with with people. And, um, and it is complex. I mean, all these themes, you know, migration, love, identity, they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be complex things. We should... You know, it should it should be natural to be able to love each other, to be able to migrate freely, to be able to to be who we are freely. But um, it's a human thing to have questions and to and to and to want to answer them. And so this is my, I guess, my shot at sharing 
my visions of of all these of all these themes and of all these things that are happening right now. I mean, when I thought of this theme, it's mainly because of my journey as an immigrant and and these things come up for for us in our everyday lives. Um, you know, I wasn't really expecting uh, the outcome of of these past weeks, and so now more than ever. I I want to share these songs and, and share these stories and 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 bring a little light to to some of the dark times that some people are living. Right now in times of fear we need strength and I think you're right that music gives us strength because it reminds us of, you know, all things we share, all the humanity we share and also the the love that we have for each other. So I know that you've been working really hard to kind of tell a story through even the the songs you're selecting and you are collaborating with a beautiful band of very talented musicians. So tell us about the band because along with your incredible guitar and voice, people are going to be able to hear from some other very talented musicians as well. Yes, I'm very fortunate to know so many uh, talented and bright beings uh, from the Bay Area, uh, musicians from this area. And I have the honor to be collaborating with the Awesome Orchestra Collective. I'm also going to do some songs with the Amaranth String Quartet, an all-female ensemble. And then I'm going to have my my band as well backing me up with Patrick Wolf on clarinet and saxophone, Thomas Etler on bass, Andrew McGuire on vibraphone and percussion. They're not all going to be playing at the same time. So it's going to be a very eclectic and an interesting format and set. I'll also be sharing some stories and some poems that, that touch on these themes and um, and yeah, it's just mainly a night to kind of come together and bring light to to the times that we're living and to and to celebrate the things that deserve. It's important to keep our focus on the things that are working and the things that we do have. Uh, holidays are coming, and so one thing that we could do to keep us in the hope frequency I think it's to focus on the on the love on the family on the community that we do have on the light that we still see and so that's my intention with this show to to bring those things up to bring them up to life and to magnify the positive that that there is because it's there it's hard to see it right now it's hard to be an optimist but it's totally possible Liana, so uh, we were so lucky to have you here, so we want to take advantage of the opportunity you have your guitar with you. Could you play us something that perhaps you may feature in the show, which is actually coming up around the corner? It's actually this Thursday at 8 p.m. at the YBCA, so it is very soon. So why don't you, if you don't mind, share us something that our listeners may hear. My voice, rayo debajo del brazo. Okay, cool. So, yeah, whenever. Um, this is a song that I wrote precisely um, to to focus on on the light that that is still there. And I originally intended this to be kind of a home letter, or, um, sorry, I'm going to have to scratch that. Um, can I do this again? Yeah, so okay. just tell me, um, so I think I'll sing. So, um, so if you don't mind, Leanne, it'd be wonderful if you could share a song with us, and why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, this is called Bajo el Sol, and this is a song that I that I wrote for my homeland. It's a love letter to that place that um, that I miss. And it could also be a metaphor for the times that we're living. And because, you know, it's I acknowledge that things are or can get pretty dark in my country, that when I go back, when I return to it, it may not be as I expect it to be, kind of like the times that we're living now, but I want to focus and I choose to focus on the light that still shines. And it's an invitation as well to 
to keep that light on and to keep our vision vision on it to to stay uplifted and motivated so here is bajo el sol Y aunque 
tu cuerpo sea gris Mis ojos distinguen la luz que te queda Tierna luciérnaga herida Juntas nos curaremos la vida Bajo el sol, bajo el sol de tu verdad Bajo el sol de tu verdad Precioso, super lindo. Diana Gameros, that was a beautiful song that people can hopefully see live and they can also see some of your incredible band and some of these great people that are accompanying you in this show, I Am Home, a reflection on love, migration, and identity. That show will be this Thursday, December 1st at 8 p.m. at the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts. So Diana, tell us a little bit more about this show because... People who are big Diana fans really are going to be in for a special treat because it's almost like a little, it's a little trip because you've planned, you know, the, the different segues and the different stories and they all kind of go together. So tell us more about the show. Yeah, so it's going to be a really exciting show. I don't get to do this very often because I'm going to have about 15 different musicians on stage at one point or another, and then the grand finale with everybody on stage, including the Awesome Orchestra Collective. And that's their name, the Awesome Orchestra Collective. They are awesome, and that's also their name. And so, yeah, I'm going to be sharing some more stripped-down versions of my song and then uh, some songs with my band and uh, with the string quartet. So it'll be, like you said, I'll be taking you to through a little trip musically and with stories and with some audio clips that I'll, that I'll be playing as well. I think it'll be a magical evening. So, Diana, how can people get to this show? Give us the details. Uh, you can find more information about the show along with tickets on my website, uh, which is dianagameros.com, or you can go to the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts website and find information about the entire weekend of concerts that is called SF Sonido Fest. That's the voice of Diana Gameros. Muchas gracias por estar con nosotros. Gracias. Music of Sol Tron, one of Bay Area's hottest bands, and we're talking about Acción Latina's 35th annual Encuentro del Canto Popular, honoring 35 years of music and resistance, de Chile a la Misión. So the show is going to be Sunday, December 11th at the chapel at 777 Valencia Street, and it's going to be a show that people should not miss, along with being an incredible tribute to Latina. It's going to be really wonderful music. Sortron is going to be joined by renowned SoCal tropical Afro-Latin combo Quita Penas. They will both be headlining. We'll also hear Latin American folk ensemble De Colores and Los Peludos, who were at the very first Encuentro back in 1982. Plus, Marcy Manriquez pay tribute to the life and work of her father, Rafael Manriquez, by assembling a talented group of musicians who will celebrate the music of Grupo Raiz. 
This year's lineup promises to inspire by showcasing five exciting musical groups that together form a rich cross-section of the resistance and traditional music that is a signature of the annual Encuentro de Canto Popular. So we're giving away a pair of tickets to this wonderful show, as we said. Both Soltron and Quitapenes will be headlighting. Soltron, born out of the rich arts community of San Francisco's Mission District, Soltron reflects a native fusion of Afro-Caribbean rhythms, Latin rock, samba, batucada, and hip-hop, jazz, electronic music, everything. It's a 12-piece band, and you will not stop dancing. We're going to give away a pair of tickets to our seventh caller, and you can call 510-848-4425. That's 510-848-4425. This is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles. I have in the studio today Renee Yanez. He's the director of the San Francisco SOMARTS galleries and one of the most prominent artists in the city. He's been contributing to the local art scene for decades now. Bienvenido, René Gracias, gracias. Good to be here. So glad you are here. So where did you come from? San Diego. And what brought you to the Bay Area? Well, after being in the Army for two years, I was drafted. I got out and I wanted to go to College of Arts and Crafts in Oakland and Merritt College also. And that's what brought me here. I had some friends that they were going to school, and they told me that it was very exciting in the Bay Area. And this is, you know, I'm going to age myself. I got here 1966, and I got to Berkeley to go to College of the Arts. I mean, it was sizzling. It was the 60s. It was happening. Got to meet Mario Savio at the Stephen Wolf. He was a, a bartender. And I got to meet a, a lot of people, musicians, Sandy Bull. Well, it was very exciting for me. I was young and and things were happening. And um, I went to work for La Causa. It was an educational clearinghouse, Armando Valdez, pioneer in the Chicano movement. And I worked there recruiting students to go to college. I had my first art exhibit there at La Causa. It was in Oakland. And I saw there was a big audience. There was a really big audience for, for the arts in Oakland in the 60s. And so I got together with Malaquias Montoya, Esteban Villa, myself, Manuel Hernandez, and we formed the Mexican-American Art Liberation Front. And this was before the word Chicano was around. And hundreds of people showed up to the exhibit. It was called New Symbols for La Raza Nueva. I saw that there was a big need for Chicano and Latino community to have cultural outlets and expression. What was your work like way back then? Well, a lot had to do. UC Berkeley was in strike. Black Panthers and Brown Berets, and we chose Manuel Gomez and Ludi Tapia as models to do portraits of them in various ways. I used silk screen. Who were they? Well, Manuel Gomez was a, a student leader, articulate. He mobilized with his speeches thousands of people. He was amazing, amazing orator. And, and Ludi was with him. They were together as a couple. And she was also very smart and very uh, perception. And she was uh, a very strong woman also. So we talked about it. We had several meetings, and uh, we used him as models. So the themes were around these two student leaders, Yes. And then we went out and did some other exhibits. We got to participate in the San Francisco Art Commission Arts Festival. This was in uh, 68, 69. I met Jose Montoya, Esteban Villa, they were showing. There was Casa Hispana de Bellas Artes, Maruja Cid. They had a, on Cap Street, they had a cultural center exhibit. So there was a lot of things happening. By then, was there any change in your work? Because the way I've experienced your work, uh, 
is you have always been, for me, the avant-garde. <laughs> you always brought on the new, the totally unexpected, mm-hmm. and with a lot of power and humor and beauty. So what was your, your work like by this period where you're now three years into it? Well, it was experimental, and it was exciting because using stencils and spray cans and painting, I was also doing political cartoons. I got to meet some people in San Francisco Mission District. It was during Los Siete. I went to work for the San Francisco Art Commission. I moved to San Francisco in 1970. I was part of the Neighborhood Arts Program. I worked with Roberto Vargas there, Alejandro Murgia. Terrific energy. And I met Rolando Castellón, and it was the beginning of Galeria de la Raza. It was on 14th Street in 1970, right by the projects. And uh, we had openings, and people were coming. We had the first Chicano Women Art Show there. It was well, terrific. The artwork and the solidarity between the women was amazing. And then uh, we got evicted from there. <laughs> the uh, the landlord didn't like the artwork. So uh, uh, Ralph Maradiaga and myself, we were elected co-directors, and we found a place on 24th and Bryant. And the gallery is still there. It still exists. We did a lot of innovative exhibits uh, we did the first Dia de los Muertos exhibit, 1972. Uh, it was simple beginnings, a, a table with pictures, photographs, water, candles. But people really reacted well. We wanted to deal with spirituality, ritual, and we got together. At the time, we had a, a pool of artists that lived in the mission, we talk about Day of the Dead. We came up with this exhibit. People reacted really well. The schools started coming, and pretty soon there was altars in the schools. And that led to a lot of, we did a benefit for the earthquake uh, victims in Mexico City in the 70s. Um, in 1978, as part of Dia de los Muertos, we came up with a Frida Kahlo exhibition. And um, I was part of that. <laughs> you were part of that. You remember that. Oh, who could forget? Daniel Desolar was very, he introduced me to uh, uh, people in Gualala. Um, oh, uh, the the uh, the people that did the stucco work for yeah, the, Diego. For, and, for Diego. Yeah. The Dimitrovs. Dimitrovs. I met Emilou Packard, who was assistant to Diego Rivera and friend to Frida. Um, and she lived in the mission. We had uh, many glasses of wine and going through her photographs and letters, and she told me wonderful stories about Frida, uh, what a woman she was, and uh, her time in San Francisco. It, it was a very enriching experience, and we put up this exhibit. Hundreds of people came. People spent the whole day. They read every single letter, looked at everything. So, and that help get started the uh, the Frida Kahlo uh, movement. I would say that it was one of the big springboards, maybe mm-hmm. even internationally, for mm-hmm. the Frida Kahlo love and obsession everywhere. Yeah, and devotion. And devotion. <laughs> and devotion, yes. because uh, to this to this time, I, I've been involved at the Mexican Museum Pasión por Frida, my last exhibit at the Galleria was Recuerdos of Frida um, uh, for the Museum of Modern Art. I did Tableau Vivant. They had a very nice budget. I hired something like 30 Fridas. Uh, we did tableaus. Some of them were walking around in the galleries with a parrot, um, looking women in the eye and saying, did you sleep with Diego? <laughs> Uh, so it, it's that in, in itself, you know, bringing Frida to the forefront was was an amazing experience. Maria Pinedo, Amalia Mesa Baines, uh, there was a multiple uh, group of people that came together to present this work. I and, wanted to ask you, mm-hmm. how did 
the Dia de los Muertos that began so humbly with just a altar at the Galeria then become the huge citywide celebration that it is. How did it become the huge participatory event that it is today? I, I think when we started humbly and the schools started coming in, neighborhood schools started coming in, kids started coming in, the teachers then started doing altars in the schools. Then the kids are doing altars at homes. And um, it, it, to me, that was one of the things that spread the schools. They embraced it. Uh, it wasn't a spooky, scary thing that Halloween is or costume. It was more about inviting, making ofrendas, inviting the, the spirits to come and visit you. Um, you put things that they, they like for specific persons and people were fascinated by that and you know after working since 1972 now I work at the South Market we do more sophisticated installations but it was just uh, I think it was like Frida people looking for something to grab a hold of that they had a certain spirituality even Working with artists, you know, directive to also ma make it magical, make it profound, that uh, give people an impact, and uh, and now too are they're they're personal and political, and the political brings certain awareness. You know, the uh, the exhibit that I was involved in in November, I promise not to forget. It was uh, dedicated to Cynthia Wallace, Sylvia Parra, Mama Cold, and the people that were lost in Orlando, Florida, and Marta Rodriguez. So they were personal and political, but all of them very profound. And we have a lot of students come by to see, and it affects them. And they go home, and throughout the years, people have told me that was an influence for them to do an altar or sometimes to go beyond and do an installation a little more sophisticated than just kind of like sugar skulls and papel picado. They, you know, put exactly what that person liked, what music and what uh, things will bring that spirit back, back to visit. So now we have you already with a group, and you have the Galeria de la Raza and putting on many exhibits. Mm -hmm. And how did your work begin to change? Well, it, it, it changed. Well, we did different things. We got a color Xerox machine. I remember that. And that I changed still... the mission. Once you got that color <laughs> Xerox of... machine into the Galeria de la Raza, everything changed. <laughs> well, we got the color Xerox and we did separations. We got a mimeo, a mimeograph machine. I don't know, uh, young people w would not know what that is, but it was a, a printer that was kind of like silkscreen and we layer a color. So a mimeograph, a small typesetting machine. And I, I worked a lot with the Kalosurax. We I had workshops. And when we had the Frida Kahlo exhibits, we sold thousands of postcards to help fund. And we, in, in in a lot of the things that that we were funded, we were self-sufficient a lot of times by uh, making silkscreen posters, color Xerox posters, postcards, calendars, and in a way, you know, that we we were kind of connected to the to the community that would come to do their Xeroxing. The um, that cholos would come to copy their tattoo designs that they were designing. In 79-80, we were very involved with the lowrider movement. And that influenced me because I asked Lou DeMatteis and Yolanda Lopez others to go document what was happening. There was the new wave, the punk wave, and then there was the other wave, which was the Chicano lowrider. Luis Valdez had come up with a play Suit Suit, Boulevard Nights was a very popular movie. Lowrider Magazine, Cuba Magazine. It sparked a cultural whirlwind. Unfortunately, Diane Feinstein 
came along, said no lowriders in the mission, and went to war against this cultural phenomena. And pretty soon the police were stopping um, cars with hydraulics for jumping without a permit and giving them a $200 <laughs> ticket. Uh, so the times really influence, you know, the color Xerox. I still do uh, color copy artwork. I do 3D and a glyph work. I work with my son, which is a real pleasure. So I try to expand and and work in, in some new mediums, but I, I try to avoid the computer, to tell you the truth, because I like working with my hands, old school. But, but I've still. seen one amazing work you've done, which is painting on tortillas. Oh, yes. With uh, your son. <laughs> yes. This is the great tortilla conspiracy. And it's uh, my son, Rio Yanez, Josh Sands, who retired from Alliance Graphics, Art Hazelwood. And we silk screen on tortillas. We do benefits. We have done it outside of the uh, luggage store, outside of the needle exchange. We do it for a coalition on homelessness. So we do different benefits. We silk screen with chocolate syrup. <laughs> we throw them on a grill, and then we put cheese and make quesadillas. So... Uh, it, it it was just something when I had the Chicano Art Show. I was curator for the Chicano Art Show at the De Young Museum. I traveled with the Cheech Marin collection for six years. When we got to the De Young, it started kind of as a joke doing art on tortillas. And it was a homage in a way to Jose Montoya, because Jose Montoya was the father of tortilla art. He used to do shapes and wire and, and brand tortillas. And I was very impressed because back in 1970, we had an art show on 14th Street. And Jose was part of the show and had the tortillas. And people really <laughs> reacted well. We had a critic from Art Forum that said, I can relate to bagels, but what's this? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and Jose always had a humor about his tortilla artwork, so I did ask permission if I could use tortillas as a medium. He said, oh, andale pues, cabrón, échale. So we started doing tortillas at the young, and then Joss came up with the idea about silk screening with chocolate syrup. People like it. Uh, he was just went to Washington organization called uh, These Times, and uh, he did a whole series of uh, political tortillas in Washington, D.C. So it's uh, different mediums. I also sometimes work with crews, and we put posters up at the Wall of Democracy. It's on uh, Valencia Street between 24th and 23rd, you know, Lots of people put posters up there. They're, it's a moving thing. Now it's because of the elections with Trump. There's a lot of Trump posters being put up. Anti-Trump, oh, I yes, assume. Yes. <laughs> See, one question I have for Trump is, ¿Por qué pig? ¿Por qué tan gacho? I hope by the time people listen to this recording, uh, Donald Dump would have been defeated because what he has done to the elections in this country and the damage that he's caused, the divi racial divisions he has caused between Latinos and black and Asians and whites, it's just the opposite of what we should be doing. You know, for many years I've worked together to create community and bring people together, and it's a shame that um, we're getting such divisions. You use art to bring people together, but not just as viewers, also as participants. Can you talk about your role as a leader and teacher in that? Well, sometimes I, I do drawing circles, bring people together to sit around, draw, talk, have some wine, topics, politics, and or personal things. Also, the curating, when we curate, uh, me and my son, we bring people together, up to 80 artists, working in teams to do this exhibit from different backgrounds because it makes it more interesting. 
when you have a diverse points of view and diverse backgrounds, it really creates a sort of um, community, a good feeling, a whole spectrum of viewpoints. I enjoy that about curating. There's not that many Chicano curators, but I do enjoy that aspect and also enjoy working with artists. It's a never-changing situation, and also I really have to talk with the artists and try to resist what's going on, the gentrification. We're losing a lot of artists in San Francisco, a lot of important cultural institutions, restaurants, bookstores. Modern times just close after so many years of being in the mission, serving the mission. It's something that really pains me. We're losing so many things, and this is due to high rents. And what kind of work are you doing right now? And another part of that question is, what is it like to work with your adult son? Well, it's wonderful, you know. Uh, I, I like him, and he teaches me things. And I try to think that I teach him uh, certain things once in a while, but he's taught me about a 3D anaglyph. Uh, he always comes and says, oh, Dan, you ought to check out this Copic pens. So he he's... Um, kind of with it, and I ask him about music. So it, it's really uh, wonderful for me that uh, th- that we work together. And if I uh, pass on, uh, I know that my son will continue, and um, that that makes me feel really, really good. And um, and working on projects together, sometimes it's it's easy, sometimes not so easy. But it just like you know, working with a companion called Curating. He's very talented, and we we have worked on projects together. The Young Museum, he did a backdrop for Jean-Paul Gaultier, and I did a fashion show, Frida fashion show for him, for Jean-Paul. So sometimes we get chosen independently to work on these projects. And what kind of work are you doing right now? Well... Right now, I am really changing uh, things. My my partner, Cynthia Wallace, passed away. That's a big change in my life. Right now, I'm doing a series of reimagining Frida. I've done a lot of research, came across uh, obscure photographs, black and white photographs, and I've been enlarging them and coloring them with Copic pens and put a flesh stones and try to reimagine backdrops and all that. And what are Copic pens? They're they're a brush pen that are high quality and have good coverage. It doesn't streak. It enables me to do hand tinting, to do flesh tones on black and white photographs and paint the backgrounds. It makes it interesting because I I come across from all the obscure photographs of Billie Holiday to Frida and to other people. And I try to reimagine the surroundings. I color the surroundings around there, their clothes, their face. And it's something that, uh, that I've been exploring. And for me, I, I like it. It keeps me doing research, and I come across a lot of different types, different collections. I go into archives, went into the... San Francisco Public Library, and they have some black-and-white photographs of Frida when she got married. And I like the research part of it also. And so what are your thoughts for the future and for young artists coming up? Uh, well, well, young artists, they're going to tech. They make money. Other artists that do political or personal work, it's, it's very hard because the high rents... I remember back in in the seventies. I mean, I I had a huge studio for two hundred dollars a month. It was huge. Now that those those things don't exist, and it's very hard to produce work. To sometimes I depend on on friends using their studio to complete certain projects that I'm commissioned. We have to provide more employment opportunities for for young people to teach, but it's so hard. Even teachers are having a hard time paying these rents. 
and it's depleting our schools and it's depleting our culture. And it's something that, I, that I'm very concerned about, the gentrification of culture, from food to certain parts exist, literature, bookstores. I'd rather buy a book and read a book than, than read online because I'm, I feel that I'm helping the author, the artist, if I buy a book and hold it in my hand. Speaking with a lot of young artists about the unemployment situation and uh, you almost have to create your your own world to make a living. And I'm always thinking of different ways to come up with ideas to keep up and survive because it's gone from making a living to surviving a, a lot of times. Especially, you know, I do workshops that are for free and things of the sort, and people say, ah, oh, you should be charging money. But sometimes you have to get things going. You have to do outreach. You have to work with people. You have certainly done that over the decades. You've well, created yes, but... a huge audience for art as mm -hmm. well as opportunities for artists. But it does change things, like Adriana Arias that does illusion, wonderful artist. He lived, he lived uh, in San Francisco. He had to move out. And it, it affects. It's not quite the same. There's some, been some wonderful artists that had to move to Oakland, to Richmond, to Concord, faraway places. So people really have to re-examine about the arts, nonprofit arts. There's never enough funding. They're always facing cutbacks. You know, I'm always having to go to the Art Commission to speak about gentrification, to speak about support for the artist. You know, the benefits, and I've seen this through the years, I've been around since the 60s, 70s, and the difference it's made in some people's lives. And some of the tech has been successful because the visual aspects that they put into social media and how people, I've seen presentations, I've seen exhibits, when people can afford the equipment to, to exhibit. There's wonderful things, wonderful things in the future coming. But it has to be accessible to everybody. It really saddens me because I have coffee at Muddy's on 24th and Valencia, and I see the Google buses, the white buses being boarded. There's, there's people that board those buses, but I, I see a lack of Latinos, Chicanos, and black people. And it really uh, pains my heart that they're opportunities are being limited by Silicon Valley and their near sightness of of race. I've been down there and you know, I wish I could see more more people. There would be more opportunities for people and uh, more accessible to the equipment, more access. And a lot has to do with education. You know, we have to have good education for our people also. And that's, I always advocate that because that's the only way we're going to be able to stay in the mission, be able to stay in the Bay Area, the way things are going. I see other places like Portland or Seattle, and they're deporting old people of color from those places. And what have you seen over the years about the participation of women? In the arts, there's been a rise there's cultural rises of women artists. There's been a rise of queer artists. There's been a mixing of all these different groups to create new artistic manifestations. I think for the gay community, it started with people bringing awareness to the AIDS epidemic, what they did artistically from Sylvester singing, to posters, to the quilt, to a lot of things that people came together for their needs. Black women came together because there was no opportunities for them to exhibit their work or express their thoughts. And now at SOMART's, one of the really popular exhibits curated by Melora Green was Black Women as God. 
and the number of people and community people coming to see this exhibit, it was very exciting. Posing questions, the artwork was good, it had a profound effect. Young black students coming, spending an hour looking at this artwork. Really proud that it was happening at South American Cultural Center and also you know, our new director, Maria Jensen, she is a black woman, very smart, very um, together, and is taking the center to, to a new place. So it's always been developing. Mainstream called it subcultures. I, I call it as part of our culture. You know, I question it and accept it. It's a necessary expression so, of our times. And people found liberation. They're not going along with a patriarchy they used to be in, in, in the museums. They're questioning. It's a lot of questions about institutions that receive federal money and uh, what kind of exhibits they put on. So it's not just in the Bay Area, but throughout the country I see it happening. Well, thank you so much, Renee Yanez. We look forward to talking to you again and hearing about other upcoming events. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And a shout out to Rio, Joss, and the Great Tortilla Conspiracy. Gracias. Gracias. You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I'm Brenda Yescas. And this is a calendar of Bay Area events and happenings for the week of Tuesday, November 29th, through December 6th. For Thursday, December 1st, the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts presents SF Sonido Fest with an evening of Latin-infused indie pop, folk, jazz, and orchestral music featuring the Bay Area's own Diana Gameros. This is at the YBCA and it's located at 701 Mission Street in San Francisco from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. For more information, go to ybca.org. For Friday, December 2nd, join the Bay Area's own Pasto Seco band for their CD release party, along with Bang Data, for a night full of Latin and cumbia music. This is at the New Parish in Oakland, 1743 San Pablo Avenue, starts at 9 p.m. TheNewParish.com Also for Friday, December 2nd, San Francisco natives La Gente bring their unique multilingual blend of cumbia, reggae, hip-hop, salsa, and world music to the Elbow Room, located at 647 Valencia Street in San Francisco. Starts at 9.30 p.m. Elbow.com For Sunday, December 4th, the Mission Neighborhood Health Center will once again present a gallery exhibition of handcrafted masks created by clients, staff, local artists, and community members in commemoration of World AIDS Day. Since 2004, the HIV Services Clinic, Clinica Esperanza, has invited clients, staff, and community members who are affected by HIV to participate in crafting masks that express their experience with HIV and their hopes for health and well-being for the future. This event will be held at Strut, 470 Castro Street in San Francisco from 3 to 6 p.m. For more information, go to mnhc.org. Also for Sunday, December 4th, the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts presents SF Sonido Fest with Garifuna artist Aurelio. Aurelio Martinez gives a music performance that will have you on your feet. A torchbearer of the Garifuna music tradition from Honduras set to sounds of infectious Central American paranda style framed by drums and maracas. Aurelio's lyrics highlight the social and political challenges faced by the Garifuna community. This is at the YBCA, located at 701 Mission Street in San Francisco, 5 to 8 p.m., ybca.org. Also for Sunday, December 4th, join Studio Grand for a night of soulful renditions of Afro-Peruvian rhythms by singer and songwriter Marina Lavelle. Lavelle will be accompanied by Pedro Rosales in the cajon, Javier Trujillo in the guitar, and Carmen Román to dance. The night will also feature Huasca Project, an ensemble that combines Latin American music with classical and contemporary styles. This is at Studio Grand in Oakland, 3234 Grand Avenue, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. 
studiograndoakland.org. And this has been a list of Bay Area events, cultura y arte for the Bay Area. If you would like to add your event to the calendar, please email us at larasachronicles at kpfa.org. Or for more information on our show, go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Chronicles. Feliz noches! You've been listening to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza. To stay up on our show and get our latest news, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash La Raza Chronicles. You can also listen to this program again or share it with your friends by going to soundcloud.com slash La Raza Chronicles. And last but definitely not least, if there's an event you think we should be covering or you'd like to get involved with our collective, you can always email us at Chronicles at kpfa.org. Muchísimas gracias por estar con nosotros y buenas noches.